It is great to be together tonight to study God's Word. Um, Terry and I have the privilege of having a special guest with us tonight, a friend. What's it been, 30 years? Somewhere like that. Uh, Sandy Williams from California, part of our church in California, and I'm probably about 30 years ago that uh, she and her husband found our church and uh, just have been wonderful friends and so glad uh, for her to be able to visit. You know, before COVID, we had lots of people from California come and visit, and it all stopped with COVID. Now, maybe starting again, Sandy is here, uh, a wonderful Wycliffe missionary that was part of our church family. We just learned yesterday she's going to visit us in June, and uh, so maybe we'll have others as well. Okay, tonight we are in the book of Proverbs, and we are in chapter 15, putting in with verse 2, Proverbs 15, verse 2. And let's look to God in prayer. Father, how we do thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, uh, you have told us uh, that your word is even better than gold. And, Father, we certainly have found that true. And, Father, we pray that you would teach us and feed us from your word tonight, that we would know you better, that we would walk with you and grow in godliness. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our study is going to be in Proverbs, but I would invite you to start first in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7, 8, and 9. I have been, the last couple of weeks, focusing uh, on these verses, uh, someone and myself are going through a book on godly disciplines. And uh, at the very introduction of the book, this verse was brought up and given a, a kind of an assignment to memorize it. And so I have been, I've been meditating on it and thinking of it and really, um, really have um, enjoyed it. And so I, I, I want to start with that tonight, First Timothy chapter 4, starting with part B of verse 7. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And the picture there is a person who might go to a gym where they are training their body for good bodily muscles and so on. And Paul says, I want us to concentrate on training ourselves for godliness. And and then he says, uh, for while bodily training is of some value, certainly, no doubt about that, godliness is of value in every way. What a statement. Godliness is of value in every way, every way that you can think of, every way that is important. And so because we've been going through the book of Proverbs, as I was meditating on that, it all of a sudden dawned on me that the book of Proverbs is like a spiritual gym. Uh, in, in, in this book, we have been just going from verse to verse to verse. Every one of them is kind of like a different exercise machine at the gym to just kind of work on a different part of our spiritual life. Uh, we used the illustration several studies ago about a buffet. 
you go to a buffet restaurant, and, and it's not all chicken dishes. I mean, it's chicken, it's beef, it's dessert, it's pasta, it's salad, and so on. And you take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And Proverbs is kind of like that. It, it, it seems so disjointed when you get past the introduction, because there's this, and there's this, and there's this. But it's all different parts of the needed spiritual gym, as it were, that we might train ourselves uh, for godliness. And so that's what we're doing uh, on these Wednesday nights that we study the book of Proverbs. And we come tonight to chapter 15, beginning in verse 2. And we have titles for these individual Proverbs. And the titles are adapted from a book called The Wisdom of Proverbs by Bob Beasley. I don't take credit for them uh, myself. So the first one tonight is in verse 2, and it is number 1, seek a tongue of wisdom. And so look beginning at chapter 15 and verse 2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. So he begins talking about the tongue of the wise. Now, in order to speak wise words, we need to be a wise person. And we've seen a lot of that in the book of Proverbs. First of all, a wise person is a person who has come and trusted Christ, who has been born again, who is a new creation in Christ. It's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. But the wise person has, has submitted themselves to God, as God says in his word. And wisdom gives a person the ability, among a lot of other things we've seen in Proverbs, gives a person the ability to control their tongue. Now, probably you can find a long list of scripture verses which talk about ways of doing that, but it's just interesting, in this 15th chapter, we find three ways. First of all, speaking with the right tone. We saw that in our last study in verse 1 of chapter 15. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So they're speaking with the right tone. There is knowing when to speak. That's in this 15th chapter down in verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, but a word in season. And we'll study that in a few weeks, what that's, that's meaning, uh, how good it is. And then lastly, choosing the right words is in this chapter. Look down in verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to, how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil Thing. So choosing the right words. You know, when I was looking at this um, week before last, and I was starting to uh, look at this, I read this, and I had just gotten an email that morning from the church in California that I used to pastor. Um, every Sunday night, and then their Sunday evening service, there's an opportunity for people to write out prayer requests. And then the senior pastor sends those out, usually the next day. And so that, that prayer list had come. And one of the prayer requests was from the daughter of the assistant pastor. And she had written, pray for Pastor Chris, that's her dad, and Pastor Yuri, that's the senior pastor, pray that they would give better sermons. 
I was dumbfounded to read that. I thought, what would I have done if Steve had written that when he was her age? Because you know what that sounds like. That sounds like, oh, you know, he's not preaching very good sermons. We need to pray that they get better. But she's a child, what, six, seven, eight years old? And just in her in her childlike way, that was how she expressed. But she just didn't pick the right words. You and I probably wouldn't pick those words because it has another connotation, and she didn't mean that connotation. The senior pastor, by the way, put in editor's note, amen. <laughs> But I thought, well, you know, Caitlin uh, just uh, really, um, uh, she just didn't give the right words. She had the right meaning that's in her heart, but didn't have the right words. So wisdom speaks with the right tone. It knows when to speak, and it chooses the right words. Well, then our verse continues, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. Wisdom results... Uh, in using the right words at the right time with the right tone to point others to knowledge, to knowledge that will help them glorify God rather than lead them to folly. And that's a very important thing. That's a very important use of the Christian's words in his mouth and and uh, so on. Now, Job's friends spoke the wrong words. They didn't follow these things at all. They were not wise. They spoke the wrong words at the wrong time with the wrong tone. And as a result, they made accusations and they argued and they defended themselves without knowing all the facts and their words didn't commend knowledge. What a negative illustration of what it can, what it can be. So think about the difference when a person speaks with the words of wisdom, you can trust what they say, but really Job couldn't trust what his friend said, and it really just just did terrible, terrible, terrible damage. But for us, if we're a believer, that we would be growing in wisdom as we are studying, as we are in God's gym. Of, of spiritual discipline, including going through the Proverbs, that we would be growing in this whole area of speaking with wisdom. Well, he continues. He says, uh, 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 the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools, uh, they have, they, uh, the, the fools don't have the knowledge of God. Remember, uh, the Bible says in Psalms and Proverbs that uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So they have no, no true knowledge. And they're just spouting off these things that, uh, that come to their foolish mind. What they say is not reliable. And so he says... Um, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. 
you know, there's a paraphrase I've quoted a couple of times in this series called The Message. Every time I do, I comment, it's not, not a translation that you want to use for your Bible study. It's, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. But sometimes paraphrases are like a commentary. They help shed some light on. And uh, the paraphrase here in The Message is, is very good. Fools are leaky faucets dripping nonsense. That's what this verse is communicating in contrast with the words of the wise, the tongue of the wise. Um, So I have to ask myself and ask you, what do you want to have? Do you want to have the the mouth of the wise or the mouth of fools? We already read 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for having a mouth of the wise. Uh, how do you do that? Well, there, there's lots involved, but one of, one of the starting points is to present your tongue as an instrument of righteousness to God. In Romans chapter 6, there's that wonderful verse about presenting the different members of our body to God, that they would be his and they would be an instrument of righteousness. We always think of our hand and our eyes and our feet, don't always think of our tongue. But we are in our heart to present our tongue to the Lord, that the tongue would be an instrument of of godliness. That's where it starts. And then take heed to what God has to say. There's so much in God's word about the tongue, about speech, lots in Proverbs as well as in other places. And then, of course, remind ourselves to pray before speaking. We're in this difficult conversation, and and there's some, some words that could come across harshly, that could come across wrong, that could do damage. And we need to pray before we speak. So that's our first one tonight. Second one is in verse 3. Live a joyful life under the gaze of God. Look at verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. The eyes of the Lord refers to God's presence in every situation that we experience. Because God is omnipresent and he is omniscient. And so the eyes of the Lord are in every place. God has perfect knowledge of all the facts and all the events and everything that we are going through. And he sees it from the right perspective. We don't always see it from the right perspective when we are just doing it in the flesh. Um, When I was, I think, sophomore in college, in a Christian college in California, We had a speaker at chapel one day who was uh, a wonderful godly man. His name was Bob Vernon. He happened to be the assistant police chief for the city of Los Angeles, quite high position. And he was a strong believer. He was an elder at John MacArthur's church and and so on. And he he spoke in chapel. And to this day, I mean, that's been over 50 years ago. I remember him talking about his experience as a rookie policeman. And he and his partner were called to this scene where they thought that there was a criminal that they were looking for in this apartment. And so they they came into the apartment, one from the back and one from the front. Bob Vernon was from the back, I believe. 
and uh, saw this guy. He was leaning over a sink, and he took his hand, and he started to do something, and a policeman right away thinks he's reaching for a gun. And Bob Vernon was about to use his weapon, but his partner could see that, and he said, stop. Turned out he was, this guy was peeling a potato. And in his, in his uh, star being startled, the potato had slipped out of his hand and he was reaching down to get the potato, not a gun. And Bob Vernon used that as an illustration of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him for he shall direct thy path. One thing we learn in Proverbs is don't lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, trust him and acknowledge him. And because he sees everything, he sees from the right perspective that we don't always see. Well, he continues, and uh, oh, by the way, the non-believer tries to forget the omniscience of God. Turn over to uh, Psalm 10, verse 11. Psalm 10, verse 11. In Psalm ten eleven, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face and he will never see it. The fool, the non-believer tries to deceive himself into thinking this. God doesn't see. He's not omniscient. That's the thinking of the fool. But the believer has the knowledge of what this verse is saying. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And what's he doing? Well, the next phrase, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He's keeping watch. That, that Hebrew word has the idea of overseeing from a hot, very high viewpoint where you can just see uh, for miles and miles. And it's the picture of someone being vigilant because they're concerned that an enemy might be coming. And so they're on this high place and they're looking out and they're constantly looking out so that they can see whether the enemy uh, is coming. And uh, they are constantly on the lookout so that nothing escapes their notice. That is a picture of God with his people. He is keeping watch like that. And uh, uh, he, uh, he's keeping watch on everyone. Not just the believer, but the non-believer. Everyone from the highest position in the land, like the president of the United States, to the homeless person sleeping on the street. He is watching. He is observing. He is working. Now, he's keeping watch on the evil. That's the non-believers, the wicked. They are still in their sins. And God is just. And because he is just, he must punish sin. And so the non-believer doesn't get out of his sight. The Lord sees. And he must punish sin. And so this verse is a warning to the non-believer. Now, the message of the gospel is, yes, he's looking. He sees every sin and he must judge that sin. But the good news of the gospel is, that he sent Jesus Christ, second person of the Godhead, took on human flesh, and then paid the wrath 
against sin, took it upon himself. This just God must pour out wrath on sin. And Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God against that would be against every sinner of one who is going to repent, who does repent and believe in him. And so the answer is, I'm doomed unless I realize God has paid the price, the judgment that I deserve to put on Christ, and I will repent of my sin and trust in him, and then his righteousness is given to us. But this is a warning to the non-believer. They're in trouble, and they need to run to Christ. But also not just the evil, but then it goes on, and the good. Uh, This is talking about believers. Now, of course, uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and called him good. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And of course, that applied to Christ because he is God. But there is that important statement. So who are these good? The only way these people can be good is that they have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's true of every believer. Now, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. R.C. Sproul often exhorted us when we would hear him, when we would read his books and uh, Table Talk magazine and so on. He would often exhort us to live our lives what he called Coram Deo. Those are two Latin words. It means under God's gaze. That's what this verse is talking about. That the believer is under God's gaze. Uh, Bob Beasley, in his commentary on Proverbs, wrote, For the child of God, the gaze is no threat. Rather, it is a promise of safekeeping that God will keep us in his tender care and work uh, and work out all the circumstances of our lives to his great glory and our eternal benefit. If you're not a believer, maybe someone watching might not be a believer, uh, think about this and cry out to God. And uh, that would be the spirit would, would use this very verse in Proverbs for the non-believer. Um, if you are a believer, this is a reminder to confess our sin. We don't lose our salvation when we sin, but we are told in scripture to confess our sin as, as a child would to their father. And our father delights then to forgive us. So if you are a believer, let the fact that God is watching and knows your every word, your every thought, your every action, every trial you're going through, uh, and so on. And he also knows how these will affect our lives. And uh, he wants us to trust him and to grow in him. Uh, in the midst of the the trials that we're going through that he sees. And then to live a joyful life under the gaze of God. And that's the heart of what this proverb is saying, that we would live a joyful life under the gaze of God. Third one is in verse 4, and that is seek healing words. We've already seen about wise words. 
Now these are healing words. Look at verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Now when he says a gentle tongue here, if you have the ESV, notice there's a footnote at the bottom of the page, and it says, or healing. Now that is another translation of the Hebrew word. You could translate it gentle, or you could translate it healing. And healing uh, really has a, a good um, application in this verse. Um, we've also seen, thinking of words healing, uh, we've seen that the tongue of the wise brings healing. That was back in chapter 12, verse 18. It's the same Hebrew word translated healing, uh, or in this case, gentle. Uh, the Hebrew word comes from the root word. Hebrew words are built on roots, and you always want to find out the, the root. The root meaning is to heal and to make healthy. And so the word, this word, speaks of words that are able to bring health, not to the body. We're not talking about the body here. We're talking to, about the soul, the spirit, the inner part of us. Uh, there are people all around us who have a wounded spirit. All around us. Uh, you see it every day. And you hear all kinds of ramifications of it on the news and so on. It's speaking about the inner person. And there are all these people around us who have a wounded spirit. Someone has upset them. Things are not going through the way they want. They're in the midst of a disaster. Or sometimes they have a wounded spirit because God is convicting them of sin. Whatever the reason. They have this wounded spirit. The wise person has the means of bringing healing to the wounded spirit. Not just giving sympathy, but words of healing. Words that the Spirit of God will use in that person's life to transform them. Transform their misery into, I'll, dare I use the word, paradise. I use the word paradise because of what's coming in the verse. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. In the Bible, where do you first see the tree of life? In the Garden of Eden, paradise. Uh, it's found in Genesis. Um, and uh, it was the idea of a tree of life was a very familiar Jewish concept that express, that expressed blessing. When I was looking for a wedding gift for Terry before we were married, I was at a jeweler, and uh, he showed me a necklace, and it had uh, a, a, a part then that had attached to it, uh, made, I assume not pure gold, but it looked gold, with uh, stones in it, and that was called the Tree of Life. And I thought, what a wonderful wedding gift for Terry, this picture of the Tree of Life, special, special tree in the Bible. The counterpart to the Tree of Life in the Garden of Eden is in Revelation chapter 22, where it describes the new Jerusalem, which will come down from heaven at the end of, of, of this earthly 
uh, age, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there is a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. And in there, in Revelation 22, it says there's the tree of life. And then it goes on to talk about the tree of life in the new Jerusalem will bear 12 kinds of fruit. And then it says 12 kinds of fruit for the healing of the nations. That's interesting. Healing can't imply illness because in the new Jerusalem, in heaven, there's no sickness. There's nothing to be healed of. You don't need healing. And yet it says for the healing of the nation. So it's not in the sense of of healing someone that's sick, but it's healing in the sense of health giving, of life giving. It's kind of like vitamins. You don't take vitamins to cure a disease. You take vitamins to make you healthy. And uh, that's kind of like this idea with the tree of life. Uh, The life tree of life in heaven. Life in heaven will be energized. That's the picture of this this tree of life with the leaves that bring healing to the nations. But we'll be energized and uh, uh, it, it will be vibrant. But here in Proverbs, he's saying a gentle tongue can give you a taste of heaven, a taste of what that will be like with the tree of life with healing uh, in its leaves for the nations. So Solomon is saying that we can have this taste of heaven now that's going to be able to heal wounded hearts with these gentle or healing words. Um, Then he goes on in the next part of the verse, but perverseness, perverseness means something that's twisted, something that's false, uh, twisting words to communicate our own intent or all kinds of things like that. The person with this perverse tongue has no constructive words to give. It's kind of like Job's friends. Nothing constructive. It was all foolishness. But God has given us the capacity to either give help or to inflict great harm through the words that we speak as we are controlled by the Spirit, used of Him, and speaking the wise words. But he goes on, the perverseness in it breaks the Spirit. The word breaks there is the idea of fractures. It's used that way in Psalm 62 of the earth fractured in an earthquake. Um, Spent most of my life in California where we had a lot of earthquakes. And there are places where you can go in California and actually see a crack in the surface of the earth that has come. The earth has been fractured. And that's uh, spoken of in Psalm 60, verse 2. Or in Isaiah 30, verse, verse 4, it speaks of shattering like a clay pot. You throw it on the ground and it just shatters into pieces. And he says the perverseness that might come from our mouth breaks, shatters the spirit. Again, this is talking about the inner person. It's not talking about the body. It's talking about the inner person. Broken spirit is a spirit of despair. And we have a lot of people around us with a spirit of despair. 
John Kitchen has wrote, written a good commentary on Proverbs, and he wrote on this, What potential lies within our words? We are endowed by our Creator with the capacity to bring either genuine, substantive help to those around us, or to inflict incalculable, lasting harm upon them. All of that by simply opening our mouths. So I ask the question, how do your words affect other people? Are they the gentle, the healthy, health-giving words, or are they the perverse, perverse, uh, perverse words that shatter, that break the spirit? We then go to the fourth one in verse 5. Now, in preparation for first verse 5, let me remind us that back in chapter 13, verse 1, we learn that, quote, a wise son hears his father's instruction. I don't remember if I gave in that, uh, when we studied that, a big illustration from my life. If you've heard it, I apologize, but... Uh, when I was in the summer between my junior and senior year of college, and it was a Christian college, I was majoring in Bible, training for ministry. Um, at the end of the summer, I was asked to pastor or to come and preach and keep the doors open at Irvine Community Church. Church had gone through hard times. There were only three faithful people left. And I was asked to come and preach, keep the doors open until they could get a regular pastor and so on. Well, I then started my senior year. I'm going to college, and then I'm, it's about 30 miles drive from, from the house that was behind the church to, to Biola, Biola, the college I went to. So I'm doing that every day and going to classes, and then I'm getting really involved in pastoring and preaching, and I was loving it. And, and God, by God's grace, the church was growing. So at, as, the, as my last semester, my second semester of my senior year was starting, I decided I've got a great idea. I, I am learning more by doing the ministry than by sitting in the classes in college. I want to get going as pastor, so I'll just quit college. Well, I told my parents, and in those days, we did not have cell phones. And you didn't always pick up the phone to call what would be a long-distance call. That costs more money. So we wrote letters in those days. And my dad wrote me a letter. It's the first letter he ever wrote me. My mother always wrote for the both of them. And that was fine. But my dad wrote me a letter. First time I ever had a letter from him. And he told me, don't quit college. You will regret it. And I listened to that, and I followed that instruction. Now, in my case, there had been other things through the years 
that my dad had admonished me to do, not as gigantic as that one was to me. And, and I, had, I realized he had more maturity and more knowledge than I did, and I submitted to him. I have never regretted that. Uh, ever since then, I've realized how foolish that would have been in so many ways, to be that close and then quit. And I really came to realize it pays to pay attention to those who are in authority over you. And that's what this next verse is going to be teaching us. Only it's the flip side of 13.1 where we saw a wise son hears his father's instruction. Look at this verse, verse 5. A fool despises his, his uh, uh, father's instruction. So... Again, fool is a key word in Proverbs. Talk about the non-Christian, the person. It's not someone who's mentally deficient, but it's someone who is spiritually impaired is the fool in the book of Proverbs. And so it's the fool who despises his father's instruction. Now, God says that to reject our parents' instruction when we are under their authority is, um, will identify us as a fool. That's one of the marks of a fool. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated here by instruction is a word that describes the process of instruction that takes place through correction. See, my dad was correcting my thinking there. Other times you have to correct someone's actions. And there are different means and different ages of the children to do this kind of, of instruction, correction. But the Hebrew word has the idea of through correction. And that reminds me of our last Wednesday study. Now, last Wednesday we didn't have the study because we were uh, we had the Good Friday service on Friday, but Two weeks ago, our last Wednesday study, Pastor Romans turned to the passage that he taught two weeks ago. The book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 14 through 16. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And he goes on from there. Remember that word instruct? And we saw, as Pastor Steve taught, that it's the idea of to admonish. And that's what this is talking about. That was a wonderful study. If you haven't heard it, you you can go online and hear this reminder of us to receive admonishment as well as to give admonishment. And, and so he's talking about this here. The fool disregards his father's admonishment. And um, the next line says, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. So this is talking about, in the context, it's from a child from their parents. But there's a general principle here that we are all under numerous authorities. Children are under the authority of their parents. 
Um, there's the uh, authority of uh, the police. There's the authority of our city government, our state government, national government. There's the authority of our pastors and elders and others, our authorities that we are to be under. And so this, this applies. But there's also the reproof from the word of God, because we are to be under the authority of the word of God. Uh, remember that wonderful passage in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, it talks about the wonderful qualities of the word of God. And then in verse 11, it says, moreover, by them is your servant warned, admonished, Reproved, And then there's 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is, is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof, admonishment. So there are, are authorities who are people that we are under, and there's God's authority, and there's the authority of the word of God. And so all of these, would the, this would be under the umbrella of this verse that we are to obey all authority. But he goes on, whoever heeds reproof is prudent. That is a person who's able to avoid pitfalls of life and avoid spiritual dangers. And they're all around us in our culture. And we would be prudent we would be able to see through those things and avoid those things. So that's one of the, the blessings. That's one of the fruit of wisdom. And so he says, whoever heeds reproof is prudent. And uh, Solomon isn't just saying here that listening to our parents reveals a prudent heart. Now, that's true, but that's not just what he's saying. But he's saying, rather, it helps to create such a heart. And that's what God wants to do in the hearts of his people. That we would be growing in wisdom and we would be prudent. Well, then we come to the fifth one. It's in verse 6. Store up eternal treasures. Look at verse 6. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. Just because God blesses them, you could say. But, you know, <clears throat> the um, root of this word, treasure, has the idea of building up a big inventory of things that are valuable. Now, some believers do have a lot of money. By no means do all believers have a lot of money. Becoming a believer is no guarantee. Uh, the, the, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. But all believers, the Bible says, have better treasure. Not all believers have lots of material treasure, but all believers have better treasure. Treasure that money can, cannot buy, that is eternal. It can't be stolen. It can't lose its value. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 6.10. Now Paul, in, uh, in this verse, is admonishing his uh, spiritual children 
to be diligent in doing God's work and to hang in there during trials. And and in in this context then, look at verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So there's a contrast there. Yeah, we have earthly sorrow, but yet in our heart there's rejoicing. And then another contrast, as poor, many Christians, maybe the majority, don't have a whole lot of money stored up. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. So we have, we have a treasure. Every believer has a treasure, spiritual things that are more valuable than earthly things. And this treasure is superior to all the money of the richest people in the world, Elon Musk and Bill Gates and you name them. But what this verse wants to communicate is that spiritual treasure leads to much enjoyment. Uh, In contrast to physical treasure, look at the... And look at the next part of um, verse 5. Fool, or verse 6 rather. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Spiritual treasure leads to much enjoyment. But the next line says, but you know, you can't say that about earthly treasure. It, um, it creates more troubles, more heartache than it solves. Sometimes when there's a lot of money being offered in the lottery, you might read somewhere, someone will do a story about people who've won the lottery and how they discovered, you know, it wasn't as great as it was made out to be. But for the believer, that's, that's the contrast. So this, this verse says, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Uh, it's the ability to enjoy what God has given us. So in the case of the person who has the spiritual treasure, it has an impact on what he thinks about his earthly treasure. His earthly treasure, he realizes, you know, this is God's blessing. And it belongs to God. Scripture teaches in so many places that he has entrusted us with the physical wealth that we have. And we are to be a steward of it. We are to be one who takes care of it, manages it for him. And so he says that's where the enjoyment is, come, is going to come of the physical. When you are seeing God's involvement in this. But then also that uh, we have all the spiritual treasures that bring joy to our heart, that is lasting joy. What did Jesus say about this? In Matthew six nineteen to 21, he said, lay up treasure in heaven. He says, be focused on the spiritual treasure. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so view money that you have as belonging to God. And it is temporarily entrusted to you. 
for you to manage for God. That changes your perspective on what you do with your paycheck. Oh yeah, God's given us our paycheck to meet our needs, buy our food, take care of our house, take care of our car and all these things, but uh, it's so much more than that. And he wants us to be stewards, taking care of what God has given uh, to us. Well, I think we'll close there. Pick it up uh, uh, next time. But uh, just to kind of zero in on these parables we've seen and what we do with it. The first parable we saw in verse 2. Is your tongue a tongue of wisdom? Do you speak with the right tone? Do you know when to speak and when not to speak? Do you choose the right words? And apply James chapter 1 verse 19 to your heart which says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Secondly, in verse 3, we have the second parable. Are you living your life under Coram Deo, under God's gaze? Take comfort in the fact that God is watching everything and live in light of his gaze. Live in light of the fact that he is watching everything in your life. And then the in verse 5, the proverb we saw, do you wholeheartedly submit to authorities, such as government? You know, we have growing government regulations in our country right now. And when you're a homeowner, for instance, and you have wonderful ideas of things you want to do and then you discover, oh, the zoning laws are saying something different and so on. It's easy to grumble. But scripture says we are to submit to the authority, whether it's government, whether it's the police, whether it's our parents, whether it's our pastors and elders, our teachers. We are to submit, but most of all, to God. And then the proverb in verse 6 If you are a believer, do you realize that even if you don't have much earthly treasure, you have eternal treasure that is more valuable than any earthly riches? Be grateful for what God has given you, both the physical and the spiritual, and be a good steward of that treasure. These are some of God's exercise equipment for us to train ourselves in godliness in the book of Proverbs. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us these very practical words from Proverbs. And Father, I pray that your spirit tonight would bring them home to us, that we would meditate on them, And we would see those areas that you would have us change. Those things you would have us do differently than what we've been doing. We pray that we would train ourselves for godliness. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.